Before we begin, I want to remind you guys about the Connect cards that are there in front of you. You can drop them off at the, at the collection baskets. They're over there. We'll, we'll get one over there for sure. We'll remember to do that. There's also a box over there by the resource wall. Uh, those cards, as we talk about them each week, are very important to us in the way that uh, they're, we're, they're a way that we can hear about what you might need for prayer or how we might be able to serve you. So please fill those out, members, regular attenders, visitors, everybody, because we do utilize those as an elder team and staff to, again, to just know what's going on in your life. We are a church that's highly relational. It's not to track you down, uh, but it is to know how we can care for you and pray for you. Also want to mention the members meeting coming up on June 5th. So all of you members, uh, please get that on your calendar, June 5th. Uh, We would love for you all to come because that is where we're going to talk about some of the things that are coming forward as Christ is continuing to build his church here at Maranatha and celebrate and get together and feast and have some fun. So please uh, make sure that you are there. Let me pray for us and we will uh, get into the sermon. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the chance that we can hear from you. Thank you, Lord, that you do build your church that we have one another, that we can be uh, guided and led in your son Jesus to have one heart and one focus uh, because we all share in one faith. Lord, be with us today in your son's name, the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so last week I preached on the main difference between the realities of being born of the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit. And the reason why we chose to preach on or teach on those doctrines was to remind us how we are saved by grace as well as what is allotted to us through that grace. Therefore, what I'm going to preach on and teach about today is one of the main attributes that Christ desires for his church. And to do that, I'm going to preach on chapter, uh, Acts chapter 12, verses 32 through 37. So if you would, open your Bibles there, Acts chapter 4. In verses 32 and 37, and if you're going to use one of the Bibles in front of you, it's going to be page 858. If you don't have a Bible, excuse me, please take that home. We want everyone to have God's Word so they can read it for themselves and digest it for themselves and not just trust the guy who has the microphone. Now, in order to teach on this text, I want to first quickly explain how the church became the church or how the church becomes the church, because without that understanding, we can get confused or we could get confused as to what Acts 4, verse 32 through 37, is teaching us. You see, the true church is only made up of those people who have been born of the Spirit. It's only made up of those who are born of the Spirit. And as I I talked about this last week, that means that they are those who have been spiritually transformed from Adam's sinful nature and given Christ's righteous nature by the Holy Spirit's power. This is what is also known of as regeneration, the doctrine of regeneration. And there are all sorts of benefits given to us in that provision of grace, but one of the major blessings because of regeneration is our inclusion into God's kingdom family, which again is only allowed for those people who have been united to Christ and therefore considered His people or who are considered His church. Therefore, The major implication for us as his church, and what I'm going to be preaching about today, is our expected common unity with one another, which is founded by our unification in Christ, which of course then glorifies and honors God the Father. All right? So with that said, let's go and uh, and we'll read our passage for today. So again, it's Acts chapter 4, and it's probably titled in most of your Bibles, They Had Everything in Common. 
That's likely what it says. And if you would, please stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's word. This is what it says. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who is also called the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us again. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come and hear it preached. And uh, Lord, thank you also that we can come and hear from you on a daily basis, that we have your revelation, that we, uh, we possess your spirit that illuminates it for us so we can understand the truth about your son, Jesus, and all that we need for life and godliness. And I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you give us great faith today. You give us deeper understanding into who you are and what your gospel means for us as we walk on this earth. Thankful, Lord, again, for who you are, and that you are good and holy, and that we can trust in you even as we face difficulties and struggles and strife in this life. Or be with us. It's in your son's name we pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so to sort of outline how I'm going to preach through this text, I would like for you to listen for answers to four specific questions. All right, please, as, I re- as I'm preaching, listen to, for answers to four specific questions, and here are those questions. Who were they? What did they have? Where did it come from? And why did they have it? All right, those are the specific questions that we're going to be answering today in the sermon. Um, so let's go ahead and look at that first one. Let's look at who Luke is, in fact, talking about And we can learn this from the first part of verse 32. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now this isn't directly said here, but it is something of interest. It's that these people are referred to as the full number of those who believed. All right, It's kind of an interesting way to talk about a group of people, the full number. And we find that interesting because so far... What we read about or what we hear from the apostles as they're writing, and specifically here in, in, uh, in this book of Acts, what we hear are specific numbers which explain just how many people are being converted. As we've heard so far, this is sort of the pattern so far. In Acts 2, after being filled by the Spirit, Peter preached about the truth of Jesus and how he, he was the Christ or how he is the Christ. And then at that moment, some 3,000 people received new life. Some 3,000 hearts were transformed. Some 3,000 hearts were regenerated. And then in Acts 4, again, being empowered by the Spirit, Peter and John are preaching the good news. And after hearing about, it, after hearing about Jesus' resurrection from the death, which is the convincing evidence that he is the Messiah, about 5,000 men then came to be born again. But apparently, here in verse 32, the size of the church that is now there in Jerusalem, is now so large that it would have been overly complicated to try and count all the people. 
And if we take into consideration what Luke just talked about in verse 31 and what we preached on last week, this would make sense. It would make sense because after all, the church was actively praying for wisdom and power to step forward in the midst of persecution, in the midst of how they were living their life in order to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. It would make sense that the church would continue to grow. This is the expectation that the church would continue to grow. So Luke just simplifies, right? He just simplifies the numbers and he says that everybody who is now part of Christ's body was collectively sharing the same faith and focus. Everyone who was considered the universal church, everyone who had come there and had been given faith in Christ, everybody who is now Christ's body has the same faith and focus. Now, I would like for you to think about that for just a moment. Think about what that actually means. Because we can learn something for our own time and culture. So really think about what has just happened. Thousands upon thousands of Jewish men, women, and children have traveled to Jerusalem from all over the place just for this celebration of Pentecost. And likely, because of their distance from one another, because of their separation from one another, they would have come from many of the different sects of Judaism. And what that means is that they likely would have had some slightly different beliefs on specific doctrines and practices according to their own convictions regarding the law and prophets. All right? Because of their distance, they were sort of maybe potentially coming to slightly different conclusions as to what the law and prophets were saying. But now, as Luke says, now they were born again. Now they were given a new heart. Now they were one in Christ, which means they are now one heart and one soul. They were of one mind. Essentially, despite their differences, despite where they have come from, they shared one focus. Again, they shared one mind, and that was to follow in faith after Jesus Christ. All right? The gospel unites us with one another, and that is who Christ's church is. Every member of the body, although many, are one body, so it is with all those who are with Christ Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 12, really. Every member of the body, although many, are one body, so it is with all of those who are with Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Look at the second part verse of, uh, of verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. In regards to this verse, John Calvin made this point. Discord happens when the body is not all grounded with the same spirit of Christ. The inward unity of mind and faith must go before as the root, and then the fruit is what follows after. Yeah, let me read that again because it's John Calvin and it can be a bit choppy. It says this, Discord happens when the body is not all grounded with the same spirit of Christ. The inward unity of mind and faith must go before as the root and then the, root, or then the fruit is what follows after. And this is the exact example that we see coming out of the book of Acts and from the early church. And it's the example that we here at Maranatha must and should follow after as well. We must strive to love one another because of what we have in common, not what we don't have in common. We must love, strive to love one another because of what we have in common and then let that love be shown by its eternal effects. All right? 
John Calvin adds this to what he said. He said, In vain boasts would it be if all we did was speak of our love for one another. It would be empty. Our love would be empty boasts if all we did was speak of our love for one another. What the early church had and in fact depended upon was Christ and each other because that is what was promised to them. What they had and what they actually depended on in this world was Christ and each other because those are the things that were promised to them, which is why this loving, unselfish church that we're talking about found such blessing in their very practical expressions of sharing all of their material possessions. They understood that what they had belonged to God. They understood that everything that they possessed was, in fact, God's, and that it was only theirs because it was entrusted to them in order to be stewarded for His glory and for the good of the church. Everything they had belonged to Him, and they were to use it for His mission, His purpose, His will, to glorify Himself and for the good of the church. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I want to share something that doesn't exactly go along or doesn't really uh, correlate to the exposition of this text. But this week, this particular verse really encouraged me. You see, this week has been kind of a hard week for me. Been a, it's been a, sort of a, a difficult one, and this, uh, again, this verse really encouraged me. It's been difficult because I've had so much to do. My wife and I have had so much to do. I've had to have a couple particular emotional conversations, not bad ones, just emotional as well. You know, to be honest, I'm a bit anxious that I'm going to be leaving for five weeks. Uh, I'm going to be anxious to be away from you all. I'm going to miss you. But these four words here that are spoken by Luke, when he shares them, he says, and with great power. Those are the words that, in fact, got me through this week because that is who God is who is in us. Great power is God who is in us. This is why and how the church is able to do what we are called to do. Not us, but Him. Put yourself in the situation or put yourself in the shoes of the people of this early church. Can you imagine the amount of stress and anxiousness that they might have felt, that they, that they experienced on a daily basis? The constant concern over potentially losing their jobs or their livelihood or losing uh, their family members and friends, not just from, um, from relational strife, but because people were being killed. People were being persecuted to the degree of murder because of their faith. But God filled them with His power by His Spirit so they could go on encouraging one another with the truth just as God comforts us. It's partly why the church exists. They were doing this while reminding one another that their hope as well, our hope, is unshakable because our faith is in the solid rock foundation who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. That is what they were reminding one another of. This is what empowered them to live in the great grace that was upon them. And when we apply this reality to what they were going through, it suddenly isn't so hard for us to understand how Luke can say that they were of one heart and one soul. They were so united together. They were so bound together in Christ under one headship 
that they were of one heart and one soul. This was possible because they clung so loosely to the things of this world. They clung so loosely to the things of this world. Do you? Do you? To quote the contemporary yet timeless music of Casting Crowns, where does your help come from? Now, I'm not going to sing it, but he goes on and he answers his own question and he says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That is the power that's within us. That is the reality. That is the great power that dwells within us, that provides us with our guarantee that we are already in possession of, of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is what we have. That is how, in, how we get through. That is why we get through. It's what we share. This world is not our home. Rather, it is the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. And if it wasn't so, why would he have told us it is? That is what we get to cling to. That is what the church is here for and with one another. And therefore, because it is true, what we have or what we don't have is not as important as we might make it out to be. Because it's true about Christ, because what we are promised is that we can have him and one another What we have here, what we don't have, is not as important as we might make it out to be. Rather, it is allotted to us for a specific purpose. What we have is allotted to us for a specific purpose. Look at verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Luke said earlier that they considered nothing they had to be their own. This is why they were free to be generous and provide for all the needs of the people around them. This is why they were able to be generous. They were free to be generous, to meet the needs of the people within their household of faith. Now, what's easy for us to understand is the reverse of that. What's more easy, easily understood is the reverse of this, right? We can, uh, even, even, a child, uh, is, uh, even a child understands the internal desire to possess something only from them, for themselves. We can even hear their cry, that's mine, as they reach out. But we as adults, we might use different words or, or, or really more complicated maneuvers, but our, our still our self-serving hearts cry, I want what I've decided that I want. We still cry, I want what I've decided is mine. And what this passage isn't saying is that the early church was then forced to sell off all of their property. That wasn't the case. Again, they were free to be generous. In fact, they couldn't have even done that because they, as we know, the early church met in different people's homes. So they didn't get rid of everything. They had to have some place to gather. Rather, what was expected is what Paul encourages us with in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 and 14. This is what that says. For I do not mean that the others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. There is this blessing of give and receive that goes back and forth. We are for and with one another in that way. Now, 
Think about this in the way of what kind of commitment to each other that provided as a witness to the watching world. Think about what the world around them saw in the way that they were doing what Paul is talking about. What did the world see in regards to their trust and dependence upon their God? Along with how they lived in this commonly shared desire to take care of one another. Because honestly, this is more than just providing a little bit of extra from their income. It's, it's more in the way that they're caring for their church than just the extra morsels that they have that they didn't use for the week's budget. It's more than just sharing part of their income. If someone were to sell their house or if someone were to sell off their land, what that meant is that they were choosing to liquidate capital assets that likely would never be able to be recovered. In turn, what they were doing was they were reducing their own personal security or what we have maybe a hard time today letting go of, our comfort. They were, they were, they were, they were, um, they were reducing their own personal security for the good of the people, for the good of the church, to the glory of God. Now again, this is voluntary. This wasn't some early version of communism or socialism. Rather, the church desired to share everything that they had as it was a reflection of everything that they were given in Christ. That's what they were doing. They were giving everything that they had as it was a reflection of everything that they were given in Christ. As well, this was a continual activity that was done. It wasn't just a one-time thing. They didn't just take all they had, sell everything that they could could get, and throw it a pot in the middle, and everybody took what they wanted. This was a continual activity that was done to consistently meet the abundant needs of the church and her people. That was why they were doing what they were doing. Therefore, Maranatha, this is our example. This is what we should strive to be in the way of using the resources that God has given us. It is this very fact that the true believers were of one heart they were focused on that, that they were striving for that, that allowed them to be aware of the needs that the church had or the people in the church and what they had. It was because they were of one heart that they were aware of the needs. It was because of their, they were of one heart that they were able to serve the church and her people. Our unity in Christ that he bought with his blood on the cross is what unites us to one another. Never forget that. It is what Christ did for us, is what unites us together. And that should take our focus off of ourself and allow us to cast our eyes on the promised heavenly blessings that belong to everyone who is in Christ Jesus. It's what we share together collectively as the church. And if we do that, if we submit to be united in all things, which is what Jesus prayed for to the Father in John 17, then we can accomplish our collective purpose as Christ's church here on earth while we wait for Jesus to bring back our heavenly home. We get to strive in this together. Every true believer is part of Christ's church because every true believer is born again by the Holy Spirit. And again, this is not of your doing, but it is a gift of God. Not of our doing, but it is a gift of God. The new life that we have in Christ comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this gift of grace, because of this gift of grace, we can strive to achieve alongside one another our purpose here on earth. And that is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we rest in His promises, when we rest in what He has done for us on the cross, that is when we are free 
to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Maranatha, we are Christ's church. We are Christ's church. We have all that we need because He provides it for us. We have all that we need for this life and the next because it's given to us in Him. He has already given us Him. Therefore, let it never be said of us that we are laying up treasures here on earth. Let it never be said of any of us that we are laying up treasures here in this world, but rather that our hearts so long for heaven that, we, that while we live in this place, our treasures are continually being laid at the feet of Jesus. That what we have, what we've been given, what's been entrusted to us is continually being used for his glory and the good of the church. If you would, please pray with me. Father, thank you for this this word, this promise. But I pray that as it does challenge each and every one of us, as your word is faithful to do, to transform us into the likeness of your son, that we step into it faithfully, that we don't chide against it, Lord, but that we strive to understand what you have for us and how you want to change us. Help us to lean into one another. Help us to be vocal and vulnerable and transparent about our true needs that are tangible and material at times. We know our spiritual need, and we're grateful to the Lord that you have met that need for us and that you provide us with your church as a way to meet the other things that we have to face in this world. I pray for our church, Lord, that we are an example to the watching world, to those who are around us, that that we love you and we, we want to live for you and not this place. Help us, Lord, as the church to be that, to be an example, to be the lampstand that shines the light of the gospel to everyone who can see into the darkness, Lord. We love you. We trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.